Welcome to the Talking Leaders podcast. I'm Paul Gisby. The first time I thought it might be a good idea to invite Jo Rencher onto this show was when I saw one of her Your Monday Motivation videos on LinkedIn. Her theme was middle management and how this commonly undervalued group of leaders is actually critical to not only the day-to-day running of an organisation, but also for the development and successful implementation of change. Now, having worked in middle management myself for years, it was great to hear someone eloquently exhorting organisations to recognise how valuable these people are and how investing time and effort into them not only leads to a more engaged and more effective workforce, but also provides a pipeline for future leaders of the organisation as a whole. Then, when I picked up that Joe is also passionate about working with leaders to develop and implement strategies that are actually practical and effective, and, well, then I knew the idea of getting Joe onto talking leaders wasn't just good, it was great. So, I was obviously thrilled when she agreed to talk with me. And here's our conversation. We started off with a bit of background on Joe herself. Well, I am very passionate about what I do, and I'm privileged to actually say that over 25 plus years in business and in HR, I've gotten to do the work that excites me, generally speaking. I started off on the financial services end and, um, you know, for a GE capital business, part of the GE conglomerate. And then I moved into nonprofit where I spent the very bulk of my career for some pretty iconic brands like the Girl Scouts, uh, more recently, but the American Red Cross and um, even had the chance to be part of a startup in the global vaccine research and development arena, the first public-private partnership working on the vaccine for the AIDS virus, the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative. Wow. Um, I had a, I had roles in ed reform. Uh, I was dabbling at points in time in nonprofit consulting. And so I really feel as though the span of my career has taken me not just to different industries globally and domestically, but to different cultures. And I've learned a ton mm. and feel as though that has deepened my toolkit and I can apply it to different settings and in different contexts when I do my work as a senior HR executive. But my favorite role, I always describe it this way, is I love working at the intersection of strategy, people, and culture. That's how I see my work. Right. You know, right at that intersection. That's my sweet spot, which is do we have an understanding of where we're headed strategically? How can I be a part of helping to shape that or plan that for any particular company or organization? Do we have the right people in the right roles doing the right work uh, at the right times, you know, under the right design, et cetera? And then do we have a culture that really makes people even want to stay, mm. that causes people to thrive? Mm. And so those three components to me are something that I'm always laser focused on. And I, 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 I work at the intersection of those. And, and that's where my work really sits. That's what gets me excited about what I do. And that's kind of the best way to describe it. Right. Now, the most recent role of being an author is something that I've had on my heart for a long time. And I think that, uh, you know, finally giving birth, so to speak, to to a project that's been planted for so long has been uh, an honor and a labor of love. You said a key word there for me. um, And and you were talking about strategy, because that's something that's been very close to my heart. And certainly we the roles that I, I held in my latter roles with uh, with AstraZeneca, which was the large last large corporate I worked for, was actually mm-hmm. directly uh, involved in helping senior teams develop strategies and apply them. I mean, how do you find leadership teams when you come to them and you, and you start to try and get them to think strategically? Do they, do they automatically do it or do you find you have to sort of introduce them to the idea? Or? Yeah, I think it's one of those, in my experience and I guess stylistically and and what I think has worked generally well for me, I never announce the work that I'm doing. You know, so if you start to talk, for example, to people about strategy, they'll have all manner of definitions about what that is or isn't and, and whether they're being strategic or not. But when you actually just simply do the work and you, and you engage with a leadership team, joining an organization for me is about finding out where people are today you know, so 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 what's the baseline? What am I working with? Is there a big picture? Is that picture being shaped as we go along? Are people on that team 
recently promoted. And so perhaps they are still embracing what it means to be kind of a big picture thinker leader as opposed to a doer individual contributor. And then I know where to start. I know how to engage them one-on-one offline as I think about helping to, to, to shape or translate a strategy into, into uh, action. Or when I'm in a leadership team setting, I know how to engage as a collective group to facilitate a conversation or to raise topics that may otherwise not be raised to keep us on track in terms of the North star that we say is important Mm. or to help them translate. I use that word translate a lot intentionally to translate what they're talking about into, you know, folks day to day, you know, what does this mean for me in real life? How do I implement something like this? It sounds really good on the PowerPoint, but what does it mean for me? So the translation is where I work a lot. So I think in doing the work, I help to bring strategy to life mm. and to kind of highlight what might be missing at times as well. So you're wearing lots of strategic hats there. I mean, you, you're, you're facilitating strategic thinking. You're, you're, it sounds like you're a, st- a strategy coach, actually mm. coaching people in the whole thing about, about strategy. So yeah, it's, it, you're playing lots of different roles there to, to bring that about. And I assume in that that you're, you're very outcome focused. Absolutely. For me, one of my favorite questions is why? Why are we doing this? Who cares? Why does it matter? What if we didn't do it? Um, what difference does it make is really what the, you know, at the heart of that question that I always ask is, well, what difference does any of this make? Are we moving the needle? Do we know what needle we want to move? And then are we moving that needle, you know, with, with consistency and, you know, uh, diligence? And to me, that's really at the end of the day, what, it, what, what matters, not being busy, but being productive. What are the outcomes? Mm. And yeah, I think it's interesting because I actually was going to use the word coach when I was talking about the strategic piece because I love to coach mm. informally, formally, as I say, offline, online. I, I, I am forever thinking about how to push, whether it's that individual or, or the organization to that next level. And sometimes it's just a matter of pulling out the right tool from the toolkit to, to help them think differently. Right, you know, whether it's in the um, here or now, or sort of help them think differently long term. Hmm. So hmm. coaching is a big part of that for sure. Yeah. Do you ever come across the attitude of, well, look, we don't have time for all this navel gazing. We just need to get on and do stuff. <laughs> all the time. Hmm. And I think, you know, I've had so many different roles where the truth of the matter, I mean, it's sort of like the hard cold truth is. Oftentimes, there's not a lot of strategy in play. There is a strategy. There is a, you know, an articulation of strategy that has been shared or or presented that a board uh, has bought into, has Mm. endorsed. Mm. But there's not really a strategy in play oftentimes because the world of work these days is sort of every, every everyone's plate is full and you're just sort of going, 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 going. And so in my experience the 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 ability to even step back and say, well, wait a minute, this isn't what we said we were going to be focused on. Why are we even in this direction? Why did we say yes to that project or even yes to that donor if it's a nonprofit? Yeah. That creates scope creep is a great example of the fact that oftentimes strategy is not at play and you're just doing, doing, doing and transacting and, and getting it done in the moment, which is a real uh, pitfall in my mind. Yeah. And so, you know, I've I've had situations where I've been sitting, I, I'm sitting around a table and the question of why are we doing this and pushing back on maybe we shouldn't take this on or maybe this not this should not be the focus this f- fiscal year has, you know, gets met with a lot of resistance. Mm. And so one might call that navel gazing because it is, in fact, going back and sort of saying, OK, you know, what's what's this company all about? What did we say we, we mm. were going to do? Are we are we making good on that value proposition? And people don't have the patience oftentimes to stop and, and, and do that. But I think in those settings and in the examples that I can think of, when you ask the question and it has an impact on the next level leadership and the time and the effort that people have to spend or whether or not you even have the resources to do it, including money, that question becomes really relevant. So I always like to push on that Mm. even when it's uncomfortable Mm. do you have an example you could share where you've you've done that and and you have managed to turn a team around and they've they've realized the value of taking the time to think in this way 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, I'll, I'll leave the name of the organization out because it was, sure. yeah. we, we sort of had a lot of debate about this. But I was in an organization where strategically there was a major turn that needed to be made. I mean, it, 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 it was an organization that was well behind the curve hmm. and change was well overdue. Hmm. You mean in terms of where it was with its competition and that kind of thing? That's right. Environment, yeah. the external environment. Yeah. And so the challenge was to really try to get it, you know, sort of to catch up and then to to, to hopefully be on the leading edge once again. Hmm. It was a big, it was a, a tall order. And I was in a room where we were meeting as, as a group of executives and we were talking about the kind of list of things that we needed to tackle. And the list, which was comical to think about it now, we were, the whole purpose of the meeting was to whittle down the list and to think, you know, very, you know, strategically and aggressively about what was and what wasn't important. Mm. And by the end of the, of probably a couple of hours or so, the list was longer than it was when we, when we actually started. Huh. And so I remember sort of raising the flag. We were in a big room and there were, you know, white, lots and lots of flip charts and, you know, markups. And, mm. you know, I had tried a couple of times unsuccessfully to, sort of go through an exercise where you could sort of whittle things down and do some dot polling and take votes and I'm uh, unsuccessful. Mm. I finally got to the end and sort of symbolically looked at the flip chart that was on, you know, sort of most marked up flip chart. And I said, let's just take this off and see what difference it makes to anyone. So sort of symbolically went over, took it off the you know, the board or wherever it was and said, well, what difference does this make? If we didn't do these eight things or whatever the number, what difference would it make? Mm. Who would come looking for us? What stakeholders would be upset? Um, what revenue would be lost? What mistakes would we make? And in not every one of those cases, but a lot of those cases, when they looked at the items on there, they had a really hard time answering those questions. Right. And so ultimately, the lack of answer to, you know, uh, the lack of an ability to answer the question uh, was kind of telling them that you really did, you, you could take these things off the plate. So we sort of adopted this off the plate uh, conversation or lingo to say, you know, strategic planning is as much about what you will do as it is about what you won't do. So let's take things off the plate. Yeah. Yeah. And so not everything came off, right? but a lot of things did come off when they just simply couldn't answer the question as to, well, what difference does this make based on what we said we, you know, was absolutely critically important. And I think it was a pivotal moment. It was sort of a turning point where it was almost giving permission to a, a bunch of senior executives that were used to having, to being burdened down with a lot of work to, to not be, uh, you know, part of that mentality, but also to be a better role model to their to their direct reports because it's the direct reports that are crushed under the weight of lack of strategic planning and thinking. Mm. They really pay the price. Indeed. So did did it work though? Did you did you manage to catch up with the competition and and overcome the challenges that they were facing? Well, ultimately we did. I'll say catch up. Um, I don't believe we ever. I don't think anyone would would say that we led. Right. We were leading the pack, but we did catch up to a place of you know, just more technologically savvy and more analytical hires and thinkers as opposed to this is a cool project that's interesting to do that cost us money. So th there was a streamlining and a weeding out of, uh, I think, bad behaviors and bad habits that kept us lagging behind. I don't think we ever led, but we certainly caught up. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, that's a great story. Thank you, yeah. I mean, were you saying there about, about uh, you know, strategic thinking, you when you said there that I think you, you talked about there being a strategy in place um, and organizations developing these things. And, and uh, I've certainly been in situations where there's been some time spent early on in the life of a team, say, uh, word crafting the exact phrase. But then thereafter, you <laughs> yeah. think, OK, well, what happens? And I remember being in one meeting where I had been complaining to uh, one of the leaders on this team that that I, you know it, it was difficult to get the rest of the team to mm -hmm. think strategically and and, uh, and he was listening and nodding and then in the meeting that followed he did something which uh, I thought really brought it home because he he started to question whether or not people were really focused and he said 
you know that phrase that we have, that 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 sort of uh, strategy statement that we have, that we said right at the beginning of this project, we would put on the top of all our documents and so forth. Right. Well, so here is one of the documents we put out, but I've blanked out the words. Who can tell <laughs> me what it says? Nobody could. They said, no, "Oh, it talks about this and that, and you know." And they, they, she said, uh, "You know, absolutely. This is. We need to be more focused. Paul's right. We need to we need to go on that." And then the good thing was about it was about six or seven weeks later, we were in another discussion about something, really trying to work out what we should do. And before I could open my mouth, another guy said, "So hang on a minute. Let's get the the uh, the vision. They called it the vision statement. The vision statement out." And see how it fits against that. And I thought, ah, oh, wonderful! It's 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 you know the penny That's has right. finally dropped. But and these were senior, highly successful people, but they were very much locked into this. We just need to get on and do stuff. That's uh, right mindset. So it, it's it's an incredible time waster too when you think about the various directions that we all run off and go in mm. without doing that momentary step back. Yeah. Yeah, it's an incredible time waster. Indeed. Now you said something there, which which brings me back to to where I started, and you were talking about lack of strategic direction uh, affects um, direct reports, mm-hmm. uh, and in particular, of course, uh, one of the groups that that really just have to pick up this stuff and can really struggle if they haven't got clear guidance is middle management. And the theme that you covered a few weeks ago uh, with your uh, Monday motivations was middle managers. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that really struck me because that's a group I certainly, well, I was a middle manager for many years and uh, I've worked with, with many who are in that, that position. And um, I do think I agreed with what you said, that, that, that you, you talked about them being a bit neglected and overlooked. Um, and I think they, that, that, that certainly as leaders, they're not called out quite often. Quite often the leadership, leadership examples are for the very senior people. Yes. Loads and loads of leadership books about people who are in the C-suite or, or or business owners or that kind of thing. And the rest of the leaders, most of whom are middle managers in the world, I think most leadership is done at the, at the sort of middle level. I'm talking about, yeah. you know, not at the very top level. Then yeah. have to try and glean lessons from these senior people. So uh, just just talk me through a little bit more. I mean, why in particular did you decide to focus on, on middle managers for that theme? You know, I guess I was just, you know, in my work and in it, even in my conversations outside of work and when I, you know, whatever coaching I may be doing um, and who I may be in, engaged in is inevitably engaged with rather is inevitably thinking or struggling with some concept around middle manager, middle uh, being a middle manager, being part of middle management, not being able to get the resources needed to get a particular project off the ground. Yet this company has said this is one of the most important projects and yet it's not funded effectively, overworked, burdened. And so in all of those conversations, it just, it struck me and continues to strike me quite frankly, that this is a group that, is not only do they have an outsized impact on the you know direction and effectiveness of any given company but the inability to invest in them and to actually you know engage in a way that makes them more successful helps them to thrive and in some cases maybe challenges them you know when when things aren't going well and deals with you know some of the tough decisions that need to be made around them our inability to do that is just, you know, completely tied to our success because of the fact that they have such influence over so much. As you said, much of the work is is done and executed in the in this middle management uh, swath of, of of the organization. But it also means that they have a, a tremendous amount of influence on the people that report to them. So if there's a change initiative or a project going on, they can be the difference between buy-in and a revolt. Mm. In, a, in a company, you know, they are the facilitators, they are the enablers, they get work done through the people on the ground, so to speak. Mm. They're the difference at times between more bureaucracy and innovation. Mm. You know, they're the people that are actually thinking about translating strategically, you know, into real life, because they know that the people that report to them or that are they're most in contact with, they're not interested necessarily in the strategic PowerPoint 
you know, motivational speech. They're like, what is this going to mean for my job? Hmm. What happens to me in real life? Do I have a job? How will I get this done if two people are no longer here? So they they know how pivotal it is to translate that strategy and to make it real to people. And yet we don't invest in that. We give them more work. We don't tackle the inefficiencies that bog them down in you know broken processes. And in some cases, I'll, I will say we promote people into that uh, you know level of of managing and leading that really shouldn't be. Because they've been good at the, you know, at this sort of prior level and they've been efficient, all of a sudden now they should be a manager. And so we just simply compound a situation and make it worse. Mm. So I just think we're failing on so many fronts. And so it was it was something that I've been passionate about for a long time. Right. So what would be your advice then if you were if you were advising a senior team and saying, look, you know, you've neglected your your middle management. How would you describe your overall approach? I think there were sort of multiple strategies, but I'll just throw out a few. One First of all, make sure that you're fully aware and completely invested in your top talent as it relates to middle managers, because oftentimes we 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 sort of just, you know, put everyone in the same bucket, if you will, and we're not paying attention to the folks that we know absolutely are the linchpins to some of the work that we're doing and are the, the true talent. And so we don't engage them in a way that sort of cut, I always call it customized retention. Mm. There are different things that motivate different people. It's not always, oh, let's just give them more money during the annual increase process. Maybe money's not that important to them. Maybe more visibility is. Mm. Maybe a different title that reflects actually what they're doing is something that's more important to them. And so customized retention strategies, I think, are important for your top talent so that they're not walking out the door with everyone else and that you're not on this constant hamster wheel trying to sort of replace everything that you've lost over and over again. So that's one. The other is to, I think it's underestimated how strong a middle management group is in sharpening each other. You know, iron sharpens iron. And so being able to pull a cohort of managers together on a lunch and learn, and this is where I think HR leadership really comes into play to facilitate and enable this lunch and learn series. It doesn't even have to be a formal, you know, training program. It could just be something you know, over an hour and some some lunch mm. where a group of managers pick apart a case study, mm-hmm. a real life case study, you know, remove the names and, and details to protect the innocent kind of thing. But but talk about a case study mm-hmm. that actually can help a fellow manager. Is that something that you do then? I do. Yeah. I facilitate conversations like that all the time. And we sort of come together and you know, there's a case study that we pick apart and, and, and people, and so you don't have to, one person doesn't have have to have all the answers. You know, their peers are sharpening each other because inevitably someone will say, oh yeah, I had that situation and here's what I did. And it, and it builds, you know, answers build upon each other. And then all of a sudden you've got peer coaching going on. So I think that's something that should be mobilized mm. in an organization mm. because it's right there. Peers, can sharpen each other. So that's kind of another strategy that I like to employ. And then another one is, I think, being able to tap into the brain power at the middle management level to solve problems. Because essentially, you know, you can put a title of manager on an individual, but essentially they're leading. And I and this is where I, th- I think management and leadership can sometimes get confused, because essentially, the difference between the two is that there's a you know, a broader scope and scale and level of accountability, visibility between those two positions. But they're both solving problems, managers and leaders. They're both making decisions, a gazillion decisions a day. They're both trying to motivate and get work done through people. And so as a manager, you know, I, I think being able to tap into that brain power, you know, to those managers that are truly leading where they need to create a task, potentially create a task force to solve some ridiculous convoluted process that just needs a good business process mapping so Mm. that we could just streamline it and get all the junk out of the system. Mm. Why not tap into a manager that is close to the work, knows what the issues are and can actually make a difference and, you know, have them lead a task force, Mm. put their management skills and their leadership skills to work to solve problems organizationally. That's a big motivator. Because if a manager in the middle feels as though you get it and that you're sensitive to the things that are holding them back and that you're invested in the problems being solved, 
and that you're putting them, you're giving them a voice to solve it. I mean, that, that there are a few things that are more, more motivating than that. Mm. Mm. Again, do you have an example of where you've seen that happen? Yeah, I think that last one is a, is a good example where I was part of a, you know, we had just come off of a, an engagement survey, all the rage, right? Engagement mm-hmm. surveys, satisfaction surveys, um, net promoter scores to really understand what do people think? And so we had just come off the, we were on the heels of that and the scores were very low mm. across the board. But in particular areas, there are certain questions that we'd asked around, you know, sort of, do you have the tools to, needed or tools and materials needed to get your job done? And so when we started to unpack the results and we had focus groups and we asked people, you know, like, what do you think that, wh- what were you saying in response to that question? What did that question really mean to you? It revealed that essentially in the very mo- base, most basic tangible sense people didn't have the tools and materials to get their jobs done Mm. uh that systems were you know were sort of not well integrated and so people were doing workarounds or creating excel spreadsheets when there was a system or things that just needed to be more streamlined in a very simple way weren't happening and so in those focus groups we realized you know that there were some really easy fixes and so we got the it department involved in kind of cleaning up some of the systems issues, but also um, getting rid of some systems, some legacy systems that had crept up over time. And it made a tremendous difference, a tremendous difference in how people thought about just simply getting their jobs done. Mm. I spend, you know, people would say in those focus groups, I spend hours just doing this. And everybody would gasp and say, really? Mm. And they would explain, well, it's because, you know, we have these two systems and they don't talk to each other. And I've tried to raise this with so-and-so and, and uh, you know, I've not gotten anywhere. And so I just do a workaround. And so when you get to the heart of it, sometimes it's very simple that, yes, you know, you need a North Star and you need a strategy. But sometimes people just have to kind of be operationally healthy. And mm. so, we, you know, I, I thought that did make a difference in a very small but meaningful way. Mm. Do you think that there's an image problem with being a middle manager? Uh, I'm thinking, you know, these days it's, we do like to talk about the uh, the entrepreneurs and the senior people who've turned the organization around. And does the term middle manager has a sort of slightly downbeat feel about it? Mm-hmm. I do. I mean, I think it's one of those things where, you know, it's it's sort of akin to the the woes of HR. You know, we started off with personnel and now and then it was human resources, and then now your sort of talent management functions are cropping up all over, or people operations I'm seeing more at times mm. in different settings, people management. Uh, and so there's a there's something to be said about a name. I think that words matter, and the sort of negative connotation is something that I believe is a real issue as much as it is for the middle child. I, I use that analogy mm. in, in one of my posts where I sort of have an identity crisis. I don't fit at the I don't fit at the big table, but I'm I'm too big at the smaller table. I'm right in the middle. It it signals this sense of mediocrity or uh, getting lost in the whole sauce or just another cog, you know, in the mm. wheel. And I think mm. that's a real issue. And at the same time, I also believe that if people were as much focused on okay we can come up with a better name but why not be more focused on what we what we do with those individuals as i said you know let's get the percentage of of people of according to gallup only 35 percent of middle managers are even engaged Mm. let's get that percentage up Mm. by doing some of the things that i spoke about before Mm. Mm. let's empower them in ways that mean mean make a difference and mean something to them yeah yeah. I, I think that would do far more than even worrying about the name. But I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be averse to thinking about a better name. <laughs> no, I think I, I, it, it's not so much the name because whatever you call it, it's it, exactly. people get used to it after a while. Exactly. I, I think for me, um, I, people who've who've listened to uh, talking leaders before will know that a, a bit of an obsession of mine is this whole concept of craft and having a craft in whatever it is you do. And, um, I mean, you know, I was a middle manager. I used to, to I was a group leader, and then I was a department head, and then I was a global department head. And um, I was proud of the role I had, and I did think that there was 
to a certain extent a, a craft in what I did. There's a craft to being a, a, a middle yes. manager, but I didn't find many people share that idea. The, so many people seemed to do it uh, or take on the role because of where else it might lead them. It was sort of like a rung on the ladder. And so you, you took that rung just because it then set you up for another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and there wasn't a huge amount of, of people taking pleasure, why not, in being on the rung they were on and just thinking, I want to be, you know, do what I need to do at this level as, as best I can. And do you think that there's anything in that, this idea of promoting a craft of, of manager? I actually believe that it should be sort of a feeder role, if you will. It should be a pipeline. It should be part of the pipeline to the next level. Mm-hmm. I actually believe that pretty strongly that if, in fact, middle managers are invested in and, and they are sort of set up for success, that should be the person on the bench for the next level of, of leadership. So I don't I don't see the two things as kind of mutually exclusive. I think that there's a place of, you know, doing your job well, you know, bloom where you're planted, right? Mm-hmm. As the expression might go. Mm-hmm. Do the best you, you, you can do where you are, prove yourself. Um, but then that should mean something ultimately mm. because – you know, the leadership changes, generations evolve into the next generation, and someone's got to be on the bench to take over. Otherwise, the company is not very sustainable. Mm. So I do think that they should be positioned for that, uh, but not until and unless they're excelling where they are. Right. right you know? Right, right. But isn't there a, a sort of – what's how's the way to put it, it – once you're in a role and you're taking that role on, there's something surely to be said uh, for just immersing yourself in that and doing the best you can rather than just yeah. saying, okay, right, I've got this next role, and then immediately looking on for the, for the next right. role. Um, and even if you, if you are in a role, maybe there are some people I know that they feel they've found the level and that is their level. Okay, they're not necessarily uh, wanting to sort of keep going up and up. They 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 do a really good job at that level, and they are to be admired because they're they're doing a really important thing for the business or the organisation or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember being in a meeting once where we were talking about. Um, I mean, you're familiar, and I'm sure the listeners with familiar with this nine box grid of succession planning and Mm. sort of assessing people by performance and potential, you know, the um, high potential or the solid performer or the underperformer. And so you're sort of plotting these skills uh, or these individuals based on skills and talent. And I was in a meeting and we were talking about a a big chunk of the organization and assessing them in terms of performance and potential on this nine box grid. And someone said, which I thought was such a brilliant point, and I don't, I don't remember how we even got on the topic, which is what about that middle box? The middle box of solid performers that uh, are, are, in many cases, were in fact the middle managers themselves, isn't getting enough attention. Don't we want people to thrive and sort of stay in that box because they're sort of the, you know, the, the glue that's keeping all of this together? So can't we, and I think the expression on one of the calls as part of this planning meeting was to call them instead of hypos to call them high pros, right? you know, so that they're the sort of the creme de la creme of this professional rank that is no longer seen as, Oh yeah, they're doing it's You know, they're keeping things going. They're doing okay. But no, they're high pros. They're, they're the ones we really want to invest in because we want them to continue to do that job very solidly and to, yeah. to, to hold that middle place in a way that's uh, sturdy where, again, they're the glue that keeps it together. And I thought that was such a brilliant point. And I do think that people should think about that when they're in those roles as opposed to, you know, looking looking around for what's next, especially prematurely. But I do think that as a, as a leader, as, as an executive, my mind always goes to, well, who's on the bench over there? Yeah, yeah of you know, course, yeah. You know? yeah. I think that's how we should be thinking as well. Yeah, yeah. So just, I like that, high pros, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, cool. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so then let's, let's think a little bit more about, about uh, the, those people. I mean, give me an, an illustration. Paint a picture, if you can, of, of the sort of perfect role model for someone like that. And if possible, maybe even 
you know, have someone in someone real in mind. Obviously, don't say who they are, but but give us that. Give us the role model description. So here's how I see. It, to me, it's and I know there are more than these three categories, but when I think about those managers that I would, you know, sort of ascend and, and elevate as a, a, a true role model, I also contrast them with those that I would never, mm-hmm. I would never think about investing in that way quite bluntly because I, I think they demonstrate all the wrong things. So I'd, I'd love to actually sort of draw the contrast between those two, but I'll start with the more on the more positive note, yep. which is, I think that the best managers are consummate and continuous learners. I worked with someone that really exemplifies this. She is, you know, clearly at the, at the middle of the organization. She works tirelessly in her own sort of neck of the woods. She has a functional responsibility that's sort of completely <laughs> sort of overworking this, this, this poor woman. But yet she always thinks about what she can learn. She goes to every meeting thinking about what can I do differently? She asks for feedback mm-hmm. after the meeting. Mm-hmm. She is actually one of those individuals that looks at my LinkedIn posts and comments on it sort of offline or maybe sends me a note and takes some of the things that I've said and runs with it real time and actually says, you know, I was in a meeting with so-and-so and I'm going to have a com- tough conversation with one of my direct reports. And I listened to what you said in that motivation video. And I think I'm going to I'm going to do that. Do you have any other thoughts about this or that? So she's constantly looking to learn, to grow, but then to take those nuggets and apply them real time. That to me is the ideal manager that never feels that what they know is enough or that they've mastered anything, that they're always looking to grow and they always feel like there's space to do something just a little bit better. Not that they're, you know, sort of flogging themselves at every turn, but they're thinking about new information yeah, and how to be yeah, better at yeah, that because yeah. they know they understand that it's the trickle down effect when they're better and when they're stronger then their teams are better yeah. their work is better yeah. and maybe lo and behold they might have less work if, if someone comes up with some more creative or innovative way to do something yeah. so that to me that individual exemplifies that that's entirely in line with with why i talk about when i when i start getting getting onto the subject of, of craft for me that is that is developing your craft i mean having a craft Yes. It's not that you just learn the techniques. If you're a true craftsperson, you are always yes. developing and growing. You're always, always. learning new stuff. You, you may you may be the greatest cabinet maker in the world, but you're always going to want to make an even better cabinet tomorrow. Absolutely. You also recognize that the environment around you changes and that what you knew mm. five years ago is very different than what you what's going on today. Yeah. And so you're not stuck with you know, 25 years of experience that really reflects five years of yeah, learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so okay. that, that person is really, uh, I think, a, a great role model. Yeah. There, is the, there is the converse to that, which is a, an unfortunate model that ha- happens to creep up. And I think sometimes I'll say infect a workforce mm. where people are often, because of the busyness of, you know, the, just the work and everyone's plate is full and you're just wanting to get it done. And someone seems like they're excelling in a certain area. And so why not promote them? Mm. Because we need more of whatever it is they're doing. And so you promote sometimes the wrong individual to a management rank. And that individual is not only not ready, it was not ready to take on that, that role, but they weren't quite willing to actually step into that. And so they often sit on the fence you know, they kind of wallow in that identity crisis because they really don't want the accountability. And so they sort of play both sides, mm. you know, like, well, woe is me. <laughs> you say to the senior executive, there's too much going on. And then you go back to your direct report and say, sorry, guys, it's out of my hands, mm. as opposed to tr- taking true accountability and responsibility for changing the space that you're in. And they end up af- infecting, mm. uh, in many ways, the workforce and keeping it at a place of um, you know, there's a malaise that takes on the 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 team. I've, I've worked with individuals like that. I know of two of them very specifically where they essentially, they hid in plain sight in terms yeah. of their ineffectiveness yeah. and they infected the team in all the wrong ways. And they didn't step into that place of leadership truly. And so they just sort of kept everyone sort of less than potential. Mm. 
less mm. than possibilities, mm. um, flying underneath the radar just enough in order to actually get it done. And, and, and it's, it's a terrible infect- infectious way of managing. And I think those things have to be, uh, frankly, rooted out and dealt with as, as directly as championing the, the, the stronger talent. Yeah, yeah, it's a very lazy thing to do, and it's very, it's, it's, it's actually quite easy to sort of just stand by and and uh, mm-hmm. you know shrug your shoulders and 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 throw throw rocks at things, and but never actually come yes. forward and and uh, try and do anything yourself. And it's no, it, it, yeah. it's corrosive. It really is. It is very interestingly too. The uh, you know the individuals that I'm thinking about, they they were actually quite masterful, <laughs> sadly to say, at at that, and they were you know, able to build relationships and kind of schmooze and get to know people and um, work long hours. And so there, there is something to be said for developing a culture that is not just focused on, you know, the relationships and who gets along with whom and the number of hours, but the results. And when mm. you hold people accountable for results and, and, and delivering on outcomes, those kinds of management styles are less able to fester. Mm. Mm, absolutely. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that makes it that that, that makes a key difference if you can say mm-hmm. uh, that, that you've got objectives that are that are truly measurable and you hold them hold people to That's them right. and then then there That's is no right. hiding. Absolutely. Exactly. You can't just turn up and say, "Oh, well, you know, it's not my fault." Dog exactly. ate my homework type thing. <laughs> that's exactly. not that's not going to work. Anything else you wanted to say on the 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 sort of role model thing? You know, one other role model makes me smile that that comes to mind that is a i think a, a wonderful example of sort of taking learning to the next level mm. um she's someone that i worked really closely with and what's fascinating about this example is that it's not as if we worked in the easiest in, of an, of environments and the healthiest of cultures mm. as a matter of fact the opposite was true but yet i think when you take leadership seriously as as i strive to do i'm certainly not perfect by any stretch but i strive to take leadership seriously and you know I, f- I view it as a high calling I, I I talk about it all the time I write about it I post about it because it matters to me and when this individual was you know at a management level so she was right in the middle and she was working closely with me my focus was how do we groom and develop you yes you've been working for a long time but what's next for you and I think that investment in the actual investment that I made in her was you know, her ability uh, sort of uh, increased her ability to grow her team, her desire to grow her team. So she essentially took the investment and doubled down on it with other people and spread it around. And so the people that reported to her were always on training, you know, assignments or or were, were always getting some other development opportunity. And I think rather than us think about being infectious in a totally negative light, uh, growth and learning and development can be infectious in a very positive way. And I think that that she was a great role model of what what it means to invest in someone and what they then do with that investment as a mm. middle manager. I think mm. her growth in the role, even in the toughest of environments, was a testament to that. Mm. Excellent. Uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So for middle managers who are listening now um, to this and are keen to develop, what advice would you t- give to them in terms of being able to take control, a bit more control of their own development? Mm-hmm. So I would start with the tough love and I'd say, I'd say manager Jane, manager Joe, get off the fence if you're on the fence now. I know it's easy to s- sort of ride that train if in fact it's difficult to manage up because there's a lot going on at the executive level and it's challenging to manage down because people want something from you every day, all day long. Mm. And so walking that tightrope and staying on the fence should not mean not making tough decisions. It should not mean, you know, not raising unpopular um, ideas or, or topics because being a manager means you have to do that regardless of whether you're in the middle at the top or, or, or next levels. And so get off the fence if you're there because you've, You've got to decide whether or not this is this is something that you want to truly embrace and own and make a difference. And so that's kind of my tough love first message. The second is seek out aggressively those development opportunities. 
unfortunately, I wish this weren't the case, but unfortunately, not every leader, you know, sort of next level uh, person that you're reporting to is always going to be thinking about your professional development. No. Uh, oftentimes they're not. They're yeah. not even thinking about their own. Yep. And so yeah. se- seek it out aggressively and think about your own development plan. You know, there are lots of different ways to craft a, a development plan where, you know, the 70-20-10 rule, 70% of your development happens on the job through visibility, high visibility assignments, or just doing the work. 20% tends to happen in maybe coaching one-on-one settings. And then 10% is your formal kind of training. Mm. Um, du- double down on that 70% yourself and think about ways to expose yourself to new opportunities, new task force groups, um, ways to influence the outcome. If there's a strategy that's just been rolled out, be the person that is on point uh, to help translate it. There's that word again, and help to ex- you know implement and execute it at the mm. at the next level. Mm. You know, step into those roles as opposed to shying away from them. And if in fact the reason you're not doing that is because because that is in fact a big part of your own professional development. But if in fact the reason is I just don't have the time. Who who has another space in the day? another moment to do this, let one of those projects be streamlining something. Take take up the mantle of actually getting work done smarter and faster and more effectively. Mm. And so you can make a difference in the space that you're in and it can be part of your own professional development. And then I go back to what I said earlier, which is, you know, find a cohort. It doesn't have to be overly formal. I always say this, two or three other managers, you know, that understand the struggle, so to speak, and feel the pain. And use them as your kitchen cabinet, if you will, your your inner circle to bounce ideas off of and to test strategies, to pilot things in ways that can give you the feedback to grow mm-hmm. and to develop. Mm-hmm. What do you think about encouraging managers to also think about developing the people who report to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where, I, I, as, I, as I said, the, this kind of infectious thing can be a good thing. You can... In your own growth and development, be be tapping into someone else's strengths and areas of, of growth and, and development, helping them figure out what's next, giving them the tools to stretch and to grow. Because in the end, it's a win-win. You're doing some, you're you're investing in them and helping them grow, but you're also hoping that that you get that return yeah. on the investment when they come back. And you know, the the work itself is you know, is shown to be better yeah, for whatever yeah. growth is taking place in them. So I think that, yeah, it's, it, it's, it should be a two-way street. It should not just be about your growth, but it should definitely be a, a domino effect as well. I always found uh, also when I went, you know, doing that kind of thing that it, it, it helped me understand a lot more about myself. It's this thing about if you really want to understand something, teach it to someone else because mm-hmm. it'll really show mm-hmm. you where you don't understand it because you're struggling to teach it. And, uh, certainly in, in working with people who were direct reports, to me, um, I found that in doing that, it actually posed a lot of questions back to me about, well, okay, you're telling this person they should do this or advise them to go in that direction. You know, how good are you at doing that? When did you last do exactly. that? So that, I found right. that was always a good reminder and, and an encouragement. Um, and Indeed. And I think it's it's interesting too when you're in the place of teaching or imparting imparting some knowledge or conveying something and someone asks a question that you've never thought of Mm -hmm. that's an absolute stumper and you think to yourself huh i not only did i never think of that but i think it's brilliant and i think we should kind of dig into it further why don't you you know take a piece of that and run with it Mm. you know so i think inevitably there's a win-win there too but there's a bit of bravery there though isn't there because I think sometimes I, I certainly can can think I've I've uh, been in this situation. You sort of feel that you're supposed to know all the answers. So then, if somebody right. asks you a question and you really don't know, uh, it can take a bit of bravery to say, "Do you know? I don't know that. I, I've never. Yeah. I, that we should find out. You know, mm-hmm. and show, show a bit of vulnerability almost. Exactly. But you know what? It also takes it's. It's bravery, it's vulnerability, but there's also a key word to me that I would elevate above both of those, which is humility. Mm. It takes a great deal of humility. And I know it's something that I've worked on and been working on throughout my life, essentially, but career, uh, where I wasn't always good at that. No. Because I really did feel as though I had to show up in a space of knowing and doing and having been there, done that. Exactly. Otherwise, why am I here as a leader? But I've grown in age and wisdom to know 
that that demonstration of humility uh, creates an atmosphere where people feel like they can ask questions and they don't have to have all the answers and their voices matter. Mm. That they actually can bring solutions that you didn't think of is one of the most empowering things for people. Mm. Mm. Well, that's that's really good advice, I think, Joe. Um, okay, well, unfortunately, we've uh, run out of time. We've covered loads <laughs> of areas. Thank you so much for that. Um, if people wanted to uh, find out more about you, uh, maybe even get in touch with you, how can they do that? Well, they can definitely uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. And, you know, you sort of just type in my, my, my name and you'll find me for sure. Yeah. And that's a great way to reach out. I get lots and lots of outreach on LinkedIn, which is beautiful from all over the world. And I love every 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 bit of it. I love the LinkedIn messages, in-mail messages, uh, or the comments on posts. And so that's a great way to reach out to me. Um, I also am on Twitter. Uh, it's not something that I talk a ton about on LinkedIn, but it's hashtag, literally the word hashtag, underscore Joe here, J-O-H-E-R-E. So that's a, a nice way to sort of tweet at me if yep. you want. Yep. And uh, those, are, those are just great ways to reach out. Excellent. Thank you. So I certainly recommend that people uh, tune into LinkedIn on, on a Monday or as soon as you can uh, following Monday to pick up Joe's Monday Motivations because they're always worth uh, watching, always worth listening. They're only about five minutes long, um, but always always good stuff to, to pick up. So I, I thank you for doing those, and I'm sure I know lots of other people do. Thank you so much, Paul. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for that. Since we recorded that interview, Joanne has embarked on another new and exciting chapter in her career, setting up her own consultancy business, WGN in HR Consulting. I recommend you take a look at the website, link is in the show notes, to see a full range of the ways in which Joe and her team might be able to help you. The Talking Leaders podcast is a Talking Leaders production. We produce strategic private podcasts that build understanding and trust. Take a look at our website, www.talkingleaders.com. Dot com.